Um, recently in Sunday school, my children learned about how Christians are distinguishable by their kindness to other people. And they came home all fired up about being kind to other people. And we spent a happy afternoon cleaning out our neighbours' wheelie bins. Now, our neighbours already think that we're a little bit strange. And I don't think that this helped. Um, but it did lead to some quite interesting conversations. Um, and following on from this, as a family, we made a conscious effort to be more kind um, and to do random acts of kindness. Um, and over time, I realised that my favourite random acts of kindness were the ones where people could thank me or where at least I could explain what I was doing and they could pretend that they were grateful to me. Um, so I guess what I wanted, what I needed, was a little bit of recognition and a bit of glory for my hard work. Therefore, my least favourite act of kindness was this. Uh, we were coming back from my nephew's christening recently, going through the Dartford Tunnel, and um, trying to keep the kids awake, and I said, let's pay for the people behind us. We go through the tunnel at the kiosk, paid for the people behind us as well. Um, almost instantly, I decided I wasn't going to do that again, because uh, firstly, it's gone up to £2, and <laughs> on my wages, no. <laughs> um, but also, I didn't see the reaction of the driver behind me, and he didn't see who I was, so I didn't even get a tiny bit of glory for my two pounds. And I know, what a terrible attitude that I've just admitted to in church. Um, so at this point, it occurred to me that my system needed some sort of reviewing. And going around the M25 with three kids in the back, it's not the best place to do thinking. But nonetheless, um, I did get some thinking done. And um, we all know people who like to tell us how hard they're working, how good they are, how much harder it is for them than for us. And even here in church, if we're really honest, uh, some of us like to talk about how much the Bible we're reading or how much praying we're doing or how much we're tithing. And it's really easy to get caught up in that. Um, as a mum, I've hundreds of times got unwittingly entangled in playground rivalry, you know, where one mum happens to innocently say that their daughter can read, and then another the mum chips in with what their child can do, and then we all chip in, and, and before we know it, nobody knows whose child can do what, and we're all just feeling a little bit silly. Um, but with God, we don't need to do any of this. We don't need to waste our energy or our time trying to get the credit and the glory um, he knows the truth. It doesn't really matter who else does. Our success with God is not measured by secular standards. He doesn't love us more if we can boast of good GCSE results. You know, as humans, we're, we're impressed by cleverness, wealth, big numbers and high grades. But God sees so much more than this. So with him, we don't need to fight for the glory and the attention. I first started um, doing a little bit of preaching about two years ago, and today is my 12th time, so I am still very much an amateur. Um, those of you that know me well will see that I am not comfortable up here. This is not in my comfort zone. Um, I love writing sermons. I really feel that God uses that time to talk to me and to guide me, but, but I hate delivering them. And in a perfect world, I'd be a ghost writer. Um, <laughs> But, but this, this nervousness now, this is nothing compared with the first time. Um, the first time 
I vomited literally to the moment I came up here. Um, I cleaned the entire house the day before on my hands and knees. So that was one good thing, you know, I did get a job done. Um, But the stress, my poor husband and children. Nowadays, my husband just leaves the house early on preaching days. He just gets up and he goes. That's great. Um, But eventually, I realized that I have to just give it to God. And I pray, asking him to help me out again and again. And he does. But the problem is, I don't have confidence in myself as a speaker. And because I don't have that confidence, um, I get more and more panicky. If we're plagued by self-doubt, then we're forcing ourselves to become dependent on other people, uh, on what their opinions of us are. So we tell people how hard we're working, how long it took to write this, how hard it is to do it, in the hope that they will understand and be kind and gracious. So if it goes well, I can take the glory. If it doesn't, well, at least you know I worked hard, and that's got to count for something, right? Uh, But this is the exact thing that we don't need to be doing. We should spend our time and our energy building our faith in Christ. Because if we have confidence in Christ, then we don't need self-confidence. And if God told us to do it, then we must be able to do it. If we trust in God's strength, then we don't need to rely on our own. Age, money, gender, job, none of these things are important to him. If he wants us to do something, the only thing that can stop us is our insecurities. And how many times have we missed opportunities because we can't quite trust him and we don't fully believe that he knows what we're capable of? Just take a minute um, just to consider one thing that you would love to do, if only you could. Just one, you don't even have to tell anyone, just... Deep down, your deepest desire, just one thing. And just imagine for a minute that you're actually doing it. You see, God knows what we're capable of. And if he's planted that in you, he knows that we can do it better than we know ourselves. Because he made us that way. This point is illustrated in Jeremiah chapter 1, where he's in conversation with the Lord. And he argues against his instructions. He says... I don't know how to speak. I am only a child. And the Lord replies, do not say you are only a child. You must go everywhere I send you and say whatever I command you. And do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you. So the Lord does not promise Jeremiah that he will not be persecuted or imprisoned, but merely that he will be with him. Whatever happens, he will be with him. And that's reassurance for us all, if we can just be brave enough to accept it. So here we are. We've established that we should have confidence in God and give him the glory. The question is, how do we go about achieving this? And that's the question that I intend to try and answer today with the help of the passage that we heard earlier. In the passage, Jesus and his disciples are approaching Jerusalem as their years of traveling together are drawing to a close. The two disciples are asked to go and get the donkey from the nearby village. This is a menial and probably inconvenient job. They've been walking all day. They just think they're going to stop and have tea. And Jesus says, can you walk to that village, uh, rob me a donkey, and then walk all the way back with it? Um, We don't hear any reference to them complaining, so we have to assume that they didn't. We aren't told that they complained a bit first, that they were hungry or that their feet hurt. And they didn't have to be told more than once. 
They don't even suggest an easier alternative. You know, tell you what, Jesus, let's rest here a bit, and I'll even fan you if you want, and then we can all go tomorrow and pick the donkey up on the way. How's that sound? You know, how often when we feel like God is asking us something, do we go for the compromise? That sort of, surely you don't mean me to go for an overseas mission, Lord, do you? Because I've got a full-time job. But I tell you what, I'll give some money to that young single person and they can go. Or, surely you don't want me to talk to my friends about Jesus, do you? Because I'm only a teenager. But I'll carry on coming to church and maybe in a few years I'll pluck up the courage to talk about you. But these two disciples didn't try to settle on an easier alternative. Jesus gave them their instructions and they went and they did exactly what they were told to do. We see consistently in the Bible that Jesus led with clear, concise instructions. Go to the village. Just inside, you will find an unridden colt tied up. Untie it. Bring it back. No ifs, no maybes. Do this and this will happen. This is how Jesus guides us, if we can just listen to him. Not with vague ideas or concepts. If you don't feel like Jesus has asked you to do it, then wait and ask him to be clearer. The disciples were very clear about what Jesus asked them to do, so they went and they did exactly that. And they probably didn't have much experience of borrowing animals, and yet they set off, found the village, took the colt, explained to the people who didn't understand, and brought the donkey back to Jesus. And when they were challenged about taking the colt, they answered exactly as Jesus had told them to do. They didn't lose their nerve, but they kept their faith and they were rewarded. And I think I might have tried to avoid confrontation with the cult's owner if I was them. I might even have tried to buy the cult instead of borrowing it, mistakenly believing that I was doing the right thing. But in fact, robbing the owner of the cult of the chance to put his trust in God. And when we try and dilute the word of God in order to make it easier to swallow or kinder to the person we're talking to, we may actually be robbing the person of a chance to understand faith and therefore delaying their walk. Instead, as they had been told to do, the disciples told the challengers that the Lord needed it and would return it shortly. And they were left alone. They were allowed to take the donkey. But it would have been a big blow to the owner of the donkey to lose it, so he had to rely on his faith here at that point and let the animal go. And I asked myself, how would I have reacted if someone said the same thing to me whilst taking my car? But Jesus is 100% trustworthy. I find it hard to believe that the donkey's owner would have just let anyone walk away with his livestock. I think that he must have trusted them because they were known to be Jesus' men. I want people to think of me as one of Jesus' men. Woman, actually. Um, And I want my actions to bring him glory. So we do this by obeying God completely and honestly. We must listen when he directs us and follow that direction, even if it takes us out of our comfort zone and even if it doesn't necessarily bring glory to our own door. The disciples, however, didn't just do what they'd been asked. They went above and beyond. So in addition to going to get the donkey, they took off their coats and they placed him placed them on the donkey so that Jesus would have somewhere clean to sit. So they gave the glory to God and they took it to the next level. They did their job willingly and well. 
And this is really important because there's nothing worse than someone doing you a favour when it's blatantly obvious that you're an inconvenience to them. And my husband and his friend, they um, share lifts to work, uh, which is a nice, helpful, petrol-saving thing to do, except that somewhere along the way, their friendship has been lost slightly by the constant analysis of whose turn it is to drive now and who did who a favour and who was late picking who up, thus making them late for work. And the whole situation has become so tense and uncomfortable that really Mark wished they'd never started the lift thing which, let's face it, should have been just an easy, simple way to help each other out. But in contrast to this, the two disciples in the passage were efficient and enthusiastic. When we do a service well, with a smile, it leads to others following suit. We read in the passage that others took off their cloaks and spread them on the road. Others still laid down branches that they had cut from the field, and people were working for no other reason than to glorify God. Everyone was shouting Hosanna, and this one seemingly mundane job, done well, led to this whole momentous occasion. And these disciples, they did a great job, and the glory went to Jesus because they were working for his honour. And we know that the glory went to Jesus because in this passage, it doesn't even tell us the disciples' names. We don't even know which two it was. Why don't we know which two it was? We can only conclude that it it wasn't important. When we do stuff for Jesus, we should do it for him, not for the glory and recognition. God asks us to do things which are awkward and difficult and take us out of our comfort zones. But despite that, we must obey. In John 12, verse 26, we are told, Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant must also be. The Lord leads us patiently and persistently, equipping us as and when we need it. Just as in the passage, he tells the disciples what to do when they come across a problem. So when they're challenged about the donkey, he tells them, just explain it's for me. Easy as that. Where we often come unstuck is worrying about what others will think of us if we do these things. So if I let my children clean your wheelie bin, will you think I'm strange? If I stand up here and preach, will it make sense? Or will it just make it obvious that I don't know that much? Or am I too old and not really cool enough to be a youth worker? These are human issues, and they only matter if we want the glory for ourselves instead of fully trusting God. We must give the glory to God. It's what he thinks that matters. So instead of worrying what others think of us, we should obey God's commands completely and honestly with enthusiasm and passion. In addition to this, we should not seek any of the glory for ourselves. As long as the job gets done, the name of the person who did it doesn't matter to anyone else. It's between us and God. In Matthew 5, we are described as the light of the world, sent to shine before men that they, have, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Your Father in heaven, not, not me, not you. We are the light because we reflect Jesus' light. And when you see a reflection, it's very clear which is the original light and which is the reflected light. The Heavenly Father is the light that we reflect. And if we bear this in mind, then we can shine without taking the glory from him. 
Um, as a family, we, we worship at Colchester Road Baptist Church usually. And the minister has many sayings uh, which he rolls out in pretty much every sermon. And we, we play a game called Sermon Bingo, and we tick off when he says these expressions that he always says. Um, he might not know that. Don't tell him <laughs> that we do that. <laughs> but one of his favorite ones when he's talking about any kind of missionary work is um, that, that God equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. Um, so in other words, if he wants you to do it, then he'll give you what you need to, to do it. If you put your trust in him, he will give you what you need to succeed. The payoff for that reassurance is the glory is his. Like the disciples in the long term, your, your name is not relevant. Those two men did a great job. They only had to be asked once. When they, they didn't argue or negotiate or complain, they set off, they got the right donkey the first time, and they got back to Jesus. Then they went above and beyond what they'd been asked to do, because they took off their cloaks, and in doing so, they showed others how to glorify God. They were spot on, and we don't even know their names. The glory goes to Jesus. So with this in mind, maybe next time I go through the Dartford Tunnel, I will save up my wages and I will pay again for the person behind me. I don't get any of the glory, but I think Jesus would like that. We all need to adjust our daily lives so that we can do as Jesus asks us to do, for no other reason than for Jesus. The more prayerful and obedient we are, the more we hear Jesus speak to us. So that's the first step to take. Pray and listen to God. And when he asks us to respond to his commands, we must do so wholeheartedly and enthusiastically with honest hearts and no concern for what we are going to get out of it. And that might feel scary and big, but our Father knows us better than we know ourselves, so we can put all our confidence and our trust in him. And in doing so, we can reflect the glory onto him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you know us all by name. Thank you that you know what we are capable of because you made us that way. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. And Father, I want to thank you that you love us too much to leave us as we are, but that you are shaping and moulding our characters according to your plan. Father, help us to be open and courageous in this. Help us to step out for you, not for our own glory, but for yours as we understand that ultimately you are the only one that matters, Lord. You are the Lord and Saviour of us all, and for that, above all else, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.